Welcome to Always and Forever, a One Tree Hill podcast where two lifelong friends and super fans analyze and dissect the greatest teen show from the early 2000s. This week, we are discussing When It Isn't Like It Should Be, the 18th episode of Season 3, which was written by R. Lee Fleming Jr., directed by Paul Johansson, that name sounds familiar, and originally aired on the WB on April 5th, 2006. So, Jeremy, like I've said before, this is the first episode that I ever saw of One Tree Hill, and watching it now, it's really kind of weird. (laughs) And you you decided to continue watching the show after this, and that's the wildest thing I think <laughs> there is about this. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure you were really talking up like the school shooting episode, and I probably didn't, I don't know, chose not to tune into that. And then you probably just kept <laughs> going on and on, and I just tuned into this <laughs> random episode, and I really have no idea what like drew me in. You just gave up, and you're just like, fine, I'll fucking watch it, Jeremy. <laughs> But this is a piece of history, and I guess, like, there there must have been something about this episode that worked for you. I mean, there's definitely some comedy. Was it seeing Pete Wentz, like, making breakfast in the kitchen? Was that what drew you in? You know what? It may have drawn me in, because I liked (laughs) Fall Out Boy at the time. Like, that was already a thing. So the subcast had worked for you, I guess. (laughs) I guess it did. I don't really have a recollection of it, but, you know, let's just say it did. Wow, okay. So that's what TV creators need to do, just like cast Fallout Boy and more things. That's the takeaway from from this moment. (laughs) But anyway, I guess without further ado, maybe we should like get into this first episode, this moment in history when Caitlin decided to watch it on the day, April 5th, 2006. Oh, that's weird to think that you actually did watch this on the day it aired. That is really wild. I'm excited to talk about it. Yes. Always and Forever is spoiler-free, but stay tuned after the credits for a fully spoiled discussion. Somebody told me that this is the place where everything's better and everything's safe. The Tree Hill crew heads to Rachel's family's cabin for a weekend getaway to unwind and heal after recent events. It's a weekend full of ATVs, or ATMs if you're Bevan, hot tubs, fishing, hiking, and a certain name brand orange soda party. Nathan tells Lucas that he wants to propose to Haley again, so he asks him to help steal Haley's ring twice. Haley freaks out each time she loses her ring and does everything she can to try to find it. Once Nathan has the ring for the second time, he proposes to Haley on a beautiful dock by the water and says he wants them to get married again in front of all their family and friends. When they first arrive at the cabin, Mouth is still upset with Rachel for releasing the time capsule, but he starts to see how this fun weekend was what everyone needed to heal. They have an honest conversation about the time capsule, where Rachel shares that she didn't have a good reason for releasing it, but didn't think that anyone would die because of it. Mouth and Rachel apologize to each other, and Mouth tells her to bury the secret. In other news, Pete from Fallout Boy shows up at the cabin to see Peyton, and they awkwardly get to know each other. Skills and Bevan get lost in the woods. Rachel catches Brooke, Brooke in herself, and later calls her out in front of everyone during a game of I Never. And as everyone leaves the cabin, a cabinet that Rachel didn't want opened is left unlocked, and Brooke is the last one to exit. Meanwhile, back at Tree Hill, Karen brings Dan a box of Keith's things and tells him that she wishes he was the one who died. Driving ATMs with Nathan and Mouth, I'm Caitlin Elinich. 
That was almost my intro. Almost. <laughs> I, I, I'm using that reference elsewhere, but oh my God, holy shit. <laughs> Except uh, what I am doing is learning how to whisk from Pete Wentz. I'm Jeremy Rodriguez. <laughs> And just and just a little funny thing, like right after our intro, we were talking about like the day this episode aired. Um, I want to say that our podcast episode airs on April 4th, 2023. So it's literally almost like 18 years after this episode aired. That is a weird full circle moment, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, welcome, Caitlin. Like, did you ever anticipate on April 6th, 2006, that you would be recorded an episode on this almost 18 years later? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> but here we are. Um, and this episode is titled After the Song, When It Isn't Like It Should Be by Saves the Day. What did you think of this song, Caitlin Ellenich? You know, I was looking at the end of the song with the lyrics. It says, why can't I be everything to everyone else or maybe just to you? Just once I would like to be something and I wouldn't mind if you'd like to be with me. To me, I feel like those lyrics really connected to the title of the song because the narrator really seems to be frustrated with things not being the way they want them to be. And I think that definitely relates to the episode as well because the characters are really struggling with like this new reality that they never expected and now they have to heal from it. I don't have a ton to say about the song itself, but I feel like the title really connects to what the characters are going through. What about you? Yeah, I definitely uh, agree with that take because it's it's the whole mentality when it isn't like it should be because the way it should be right now is Keith should be alive, I feel like, and all these characters. And, and honestly, like, let's not, you know, let's talk about Jimmy too. Like, Jimmy should also be alive in this world too. But all these characters are like sort of lamenting the idea of this new normal, this new reality for them. Um, but as for the song itself, I was I wasn't really sure like who the narrator was speaking to. Was the narrator speaking to themselves, or is the narrator speaking to like somebody else? I was really really confused. It's like there's a dialogue, but yeah, I don't know if it's an internal dialogue or if the narrator is actually speaking to someone. I thought yeah. the narrator was speaking to someone, but you have a good point that it could just be like internal questions. It's like, what did you ever become, you asked? I said, I was told to be smiles and bright-eyed happiness, but sometimes I can't find anything to laugh at. I don't want to be here, you said. It seems like I almost always have that effect on everyone. So it's like, okay, like, are you talking to yourself right now? It's it's really strange. But all in all, whether or not, like, you know, the narrator's talking to themselves or to somebody else, I feel like the whole idea behind us all, it's about, like, being depressed and... Yeah, you're comforting somebody else who is depressed, whether that's yourself trying to find like, you know, that way to comfort yourself or if you're trying to comfort like a good friend who is like really going through it. Yeah, definitely. And that totally, I mean, connects to the characters basically comforting each other Mm -hmm. at the cabin. I agree. Can can you comfort me real quickly, though, about like some of the uh, changes that were happening in the opening credits for this episode? Because this is the first time we saw the opening credits since season three, episode 15. Oh, what changed? Yeah. So Craig Sheffer's name is not in the credits anymore because obviously he's no longer on the yeah, show. Yeah. But I do want to know, it used to say Barry Corbin as Whitey with Craig Sheffer and Moira Kelly. Then it would show the girls having a pillow fight. And then you see Lucas on the bridge, you know, the One Tree Hill logo. Boom. Now it is uh, Barry Corbin as Whitey 
and Moira Kelly. So it completely skips Craig Sheffer. And then you see Deb set the dealership on fire, and the fire exploded. And then it shows the girls having a pillow fight, and then Lucas on the bridge. So basically, like, the amount of time that they had for for Keith, they replaced it with Deb setting the dealership on fire. And then it shows a pillow fight. <laughs> Why? That is wild. Why would they include that in the intro? It's supposed to be, like, happy stuff. Yeah, I guess that's maybe the show, like, hey, look at us. It's, like, you know, we're, we're high drama because we show people setting fires, but we also have pillow fights. We're fun. <laughs> like, it's the best of all the worlds. I don't know. That is wild. Yeah, that's sad that Craig Sheffer's gone. Oh. Mm-hmm. R.I.P. Well, R.I.P. to Keith, not Craig Sheffer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to clarify. So should we get into Caitlin's lit crit segment oh, for the yes. opening quote? Caitlin's lit crit. Caitlin's lit crit. <laughs> I'm making a song for you. That's <laughs> what I came up with on the spot. <laughs> so we get a Henry James quote that Lucas says as a voiceover at the very beginning of the episode when he's leaving the house to go on the road trip. And it says, Be not afraid of life. Believe that life is worth living, and your belief will create the fact. I think it's a pretty straightforward quote. Basically, it's saying, you know, if you believe that life is worth living, then it will be. And that belief is strong enough to, like, create the reality. What I find interesting about this quote, because I did a little digging, so I'm going to go off on a tangent, a short tangent. Give us the tag. I like the tangents. So I was Googling this quote, and it was coming up, like, a lot of places was coming up as Henry James, but I was finding that he had a brother named William James, who was a philosopher. And according to Goodreads, this quote is from William James? From... The Will to Believe and Other Essays in Popular Philosophy. (laughs) So I'm like, who is it really attributed to? What did you say what's called? It's called The Will to Live? The Will to Believe and Other Essays in Popular Philosophy. Okay. I I, I guess, like, I heard Will to Believe because I'm thinking about this episode of One Tree Hill right here, (laughs) which which is making me lack some of that will to live. But okay, keep going. (laughs) Oh my gosh, Jeremy! (laughs) So basically, this is a collection that includes like a lecture. The will to believe was apparently a lecture that he delivered. And also it has a bunch of essays, too. So a lot of what this book or this collection of essays is about is about religion. And like, basically, the truth of religious belief doesn't really have to be proven. But it basically just depends on like you believing it. Which really relates to this idea of this, back to the quote, like, believing that life is worth living will create that fact. So I find, like, there's definitely a connection between these two ideas. So I feel like this quote is, like, wrongly attributed to Henry James, unless they both somehow Mm. came up with it together because they were brothers. I don't really know. And then I also found, as of this year, actually, a book was just published in 2023, And it's called, it's like a scholarly collection or whatever. It's called Be Not Afraid of Life, in the words of William James. So did Henry James steal this quote from his brother? I don't know, or maybe it's just like wrongly attributed. Should we cancel him? Are we going to cancel Henry James? I I guess so. I mean, like... Is Henry James alive? Can we cancel him? Can anyone like verify this? Because I feel like I was in a a Twitter, or not a Twitter, a Google. You know how when you Google something, you're just circling around the same information 
over and mm. over again. Like you can't get out of it and you're like, is this actually yeah. true or is it just being repeated over and over again? So <laughs> that was my little uh, tangent about this. But yeah, I think the quote, it's relevant to, because like you see at the beginning of this episode, you see Karen is crying behind the door and she won't even come out to Lucas. Mm-hmm. And... I think it really connects to that idea. Like the kids are trying to move on. They're going to this cabin. They're trying to heal. And they believe that life, you know, is worth living. Or at least they're they're trying to get there. And like Karen is clearly stuck in the moment. And having that belief would, would hopefully help her like to get out of that mentality. Yeah. Um, and you talking about the idea of like religion, it was actually making me think of Mouth. While this episode isn't about religion explicitly, um, I do think that Mouth needed to see that people were healing during this trip. And that's what made him decide to forgive Rachel and realize that, hey, like you invite you may have invited us for like selfish reasons, but hey, like it's working. It is helping people heal. People are having fun. And that actually, uh, he learned that when I, I feel like when he was talking to Peyton, because and I actually have the conversation written down. Mouth is saying like, you know, oh, I'm sorry, Peyton. He says, oh, no, not for that. I mean about what happened to you, you know, with your leg. And Peyton's like, well, that's really sweet, Mouth, but it's not necessary. Sometimes I forget to remember how really wonderful life can be. So I'm trying not to do that anymore. And Mouth is like, that's great, Peyton. Good for you. And I think that conversation like really woke him up to realize that, hey, this trip actually is working. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I think sometimes in life, like a scary thing has to happen for you to be reminded of the good in life and what you're grateful for. And I, I think this whole trip is a good reminder of that for everyone because they've been through so much trauma in the past few episodes that kind of shifts your perspective and you see like the good in the world basically yeah absolutely but we don't know who this quote's attributed to right (laughs) (laughs) i guess not (laughs) (laughs) honestly if anyone has any insight out there (laughs) about this quote i would love to hear it so email us at always othpod at gmail.com yes please but that's my two cents all right let's dig into the actual episode yes so it opens with um, everybody is like leaving from Lucas's house. Karen is in the room crying. And something something I noticed, and we'll get into this a little bit later, um, but she is holding a picture in her lap of Lucas and Keith. Also in that same scene, Nathan is also looking at a picture of Lucas and Keith. So there's kind of like a connection between Nathan and Karen in that moment, I think. They're both like grieving in their own way. And I think it's actually kind of smart to show how the two of them are grieving differently. Like, Nathan's decided to go away and have fun with his friends, where Karen is locked up in her bedroom and is crying her eyes out. Are you talking about Lucas or Nathan? I'm talking about Nathan. Nathan looked at the picture? Yeah, yeah, there's a, yeah, there's a scene in there. Um, it's it, it's like such a quick like blink and you miss it scene, but he's actually in Lucas and Karen's house. Okay, and he's and he's like looking at a picture on the wall. I remember seeing the picture on the wall, but for some reason I was thinking Lucas was looking at it. But now, okay, it was Nathan. Yeah, yeah, it's Nathan looking at it. So, and I thought that was just like a nice little subtle detail. Even though I feel like the this whole detail about Nathan grieving is kind of like a flimsy storyline in the episode because I feel like you only you see it here. But then you also see it, like, later on during the game of I Never, when he tells Lucas, that, like, oh, I wish I got to know Keith more. 
But he, then he says, like, but I am grateful for the time I did have with him. But those are, like, the only two examples of the scene of, like, that storyline to show Nathan's grief. Basically, they were using Nathan's grief as a way to, like, propel him to rethink his life and want to propose to Haley again. That's what I feel like they were doing. Like, he was grieving, which was making him think about, like, you know, life is short, seize the moment type thing. And that was what made him want to propose to Haley. Mm, I can I can say that. That's my thought about it. But yeah, I, I kind of I'm interested in Nathan's grief, but we only get such a, a small we, we just get a small little <laughs> taste of it. I yeah. don't know. Because like Nathan and Keith didn't really have much of a relationship. But mm-hmm. I think it's interesting to address because gr- grief is different for different people. And and you, you can still grieve even if you weren't close to someone. But you were connected. He, he was still connected to him. He was, Keith was his uncle, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Everyone's kind of going through a different experience. Like Nathan's experience is obviously vastly different than Lucas's. But it is interesting to kind of see that representation a little bit. Yeah, but everybody, as you were just saying, though, like everybody grieves differently. Like I'm actually thinking back to a time when I was at work and an old coworker who I didn't know anymore. Um, like you know, I just I just didn't speak to him for like a good few years. But then I uh, I saw when I was just randomly scrolling on Facebook that he took his life. And you know, it's like you know, in my head, I was like, well, I didn't really know him that well. But then after a few minutes, I realized like, oh my god, this is devastating for me. So I actually took off, like, the rest of the afternoon at work because of that, because I just couldn't deal with it. You know, it's really disturbing, even if you barely knew the person, to mm-hmm. hear a story like that. Yeah. And I'm just, and I was, like, talking about, like, oh, I, like, only knew him for, like, I only met him, like, maybe four or five times in my life. But, like, you know, he so, like, left an impact on me, and he was, like, so, so nice. And it was just... And I, I realized, like, you know what? Like, okay, I got to take some time for myself. And, you know, and part of me re- part of me was wondering, like, oh, did I deserve to grieve? Like, do I need, like, you know, did I deserve to speak out about this? And then I realized, like, you know what? No, I, I did. I'm allowed to be sad right now. Yeah, I don't think you have to feel guilty for that, for something, like, emotionally impacting you <laughs> in some yeah. way. Like, you can't, you have to feel your feelings. And sometimes, like, your feelings can surprise you. There, there are grief is weird it really is like there could be someone that you're close to i mean it's just it's so different no matter who it is who dies in your life like your level of connection to them Mm -hmm. and you you might react differently in a different situation so i can i can think of various things Right, absolutely uh can we talk a little bit about how karen has taken out her grief though on dan that was an intense scene. <sighs> mm-hmm. If she only knew. If she only knew. <laughs> I know. She gives uh, Dan like a bunch of a bunch of shit. It's a it, it's a box full of things like an invitation to Keith sweated the jewels. It has adoption papers. It has a deal for for Keith Scott Motors. She shoves it on Dan's desk and she just says, "You killed him. You may not have pulled the trigger, but she, but you might as well have." And to me, it's interesting. Okay, so Karen doesn't know actually what happened. So let's just pretend for a moment that we don't know. Right. Is Karen honestly being fair in this moment? I don't think so. Because, yes, Dan was terrible to Keith. And you could say, in a way, he he killed him, quote unquote. Like, 
he did all these terrible things that really like probably weighed on Keith in his life. But Karen blaming Dan for not going into the school after his brother. Like, what was that about? It was strange. It was, I mean, it is strange, but it is obviously, Karen is obviously displaced in her anger. I feel like that's what my therapist would say. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, because because at the end of the night, just, again, like, we're going to pretend we don't know what we know. You know, Jimmy was the one who pulled the trigger. There wasn't, like, this big chain, re- chain reaction or anything like that. At the end of the day, like, Jimmy is the one to blame, at least as far as Karen knows. So she is definitely displacing her anger. You know, if she ever does learn the truth, obviously, she'll eat her words and be like, oh, I was actually right by saying this. You did kill him. Literally. I know. But yeah, I feel like she just needs some time. She is lashing out. So I, I have a lot of space for Karen right now, I think. She's not thinking clearly. And, you know, Dan, he's the evil guy. So, like, it's kind of easy to just yell at him because he did all these terrible things anyway. So just, like, lay all the blame on him. Why not? Mm-hmm. Because he treated Keith so poorly for so long. And she's probably right. Like, Dan obviously was deserved to die rather than Keith. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about the placement of this scene now. Like, what what is the... There is a purpose of the scene, I feel like, for the overall arc, but, like, it's kind of random in this episode. There is so much that is random in this episode, and that is just one thing. Yeah, I know. Unless it's the show, like, hey, like, all these characters are off having fun, like, doing their own thing, and then, like, oh, but hold on, there is a reality here that is different. There, you know, there are still people who are still grieving here. So I don't really, I don't really know, it's just... I feel like the I feel like this episode could have done without this scene. Maybe it could have been placed in a different episode. Yeah, I agree. It's not a necessary scene, but maybe what they were trying to show was that they're once again back to the idea of there's so many different ways to grieve and heal. Cause like you see the kids like starting to heal, but then you see that Karen is like still stuck in her grief. Like they're all kind of down a different path here. It's taking different people a different amount of time to, you know, process all this. But it is still, regardless, it is still a very random scene that was just thrown in there. But I feel like this scene could have worked better, like, if it was in the last episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, for example. Yeah, because they had that one scene together when Dan stops by. So they could have had another scene and, and shown it with anger, actually, in the... They could have shown this scene in the actual uh, emotion that it was being repre- supposed to be being represented. Yeah, which... <laughs> And listeners, if you, because believe it or not, there are some listeners who don't listen to every episode. They do skip a few. (laughs) But if you didn't listen to our last episode, uh, where they talk about the five stages of grief, those uh, five stages of grief don't really illustrate the the episode, I don't think. Neither of us think. No, they don't. It's a big stretch for most of them. Yeah, the last episode was more of a thesis statement on, like, everybody grieves differently, and that's what it should have been. That's what the thesis should have been for the episode. And I'm not really sure what the purpose of this episode is right here, because I feel like there's so many plot points that are just unnecessary. I feel like they could have been placed elsewhere. It's all very random. Just, just it's all very random. And, <laughs> and awkward. And, and we actually, we talked about this with our um, episode with Gavi for our second part of 316 Part 2. Um this episode, we're trying to show that, like, show the characters, like, having fun and, like, you know, heal. 
But I feel like the party in the last episode was a better opportunity of showing these characters healing. And now here all these characters are. It's not like they're they're making friends with like anybody new. They're literally they're literally like hanging out with the same people they always hang out with anyway. Yeah. Boy. <laughs> like how cool how cool would it have been if they invited somebody like Abby or Marcus or somebody like that? Yeah, that's true. But I think I like the idea of them getting away for the weekend. I do. I do, too. There are a lot of, like, fun moments in this episode. And, like, thank goodness, like, we do have this episode because the last few episodes have been very rough <laughs> for us. So I'm glad that we can, like, you know, let loose a little bit. Yeah, I'm really relieved to be talking about this one, even though it's not, like, my favorite episode or anything. Because the past <laughs> yes. few have just been, honestly, pretty brutal. <laughs> yeah, we can, we can talk about fun things, like uh, Bevan uh, riding ATMs with Nathan and Mal. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a good transition point to us talking about, like, everything that goes on with Bevan and Skills. And I love when Bevan says that line about riding ATMs and Skills just, like, looks at Bevan like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. Oh, God. Um, th- This is, like, a-, a couple of steps back, but earlier in the uh, episode, there's a moment where Skills is talking about... Um, how Pete was, you know, Pete's supposed to show up and nobody, you know, nobody believes her. And then Skills says like, yeah, and insert problematic rapper name here. We'll be rolling through here. And I'm like, oh, this hasn't aged well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I made a comment when that came on. (laughs) (laughs) We're not saying his name, but yeah. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Just had to call that out. But anyway, yeah, Bevan and Skills, fun stuff. Yeah, let's go. I when they were walking in the woods <laughs> and Bevan thought North was one way and then skill, Skills spins her around and then she's like, This is North, which is a totally opposite direction. <laughs> like I love the comedy here. These two have such good like banter and They're so funny. However, I gotta say, I feel like Skills is a little bit mean in some parts. He's like, I should never let you talk me into this. And it's like I feel like Antoine Tanner plays it very well. But like if you read this on the page, it's kinda like th- these are mean lines and Bevan still keeps following him. Like she keeps trotting along behind him, like, oh my god, okay. Yeah, I shouldn't have done this, but I'm gonna keep following you. <laughs> I don't know. I th- I don't think it was that bad. It wasn't. It wasn't the worst thing, but I, I don't think. Yeah, but, I can see what you're saying, though. Yeah, but regardless, I think their moments together were cute. They, you know, they get lost, and it turns out they were like right by the cabin the entire time. So I know. Luckily, um, was it? It was Nathan, right? Calling out. <laughs> I think it was. It was. Yeah, I think it was Lucas. Lucas, Lucas or was, Nathan, like, one of them. Yeah. was calling out, and then there was like a flashlight and they were following the light and they were literally right there. Was, oh my god. And it was dark at that point. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> oh. But yeah, they brought some lightheartedness to everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I guess it's nice to see, like, these characters having, like, such a gay, low-key problem. Because as, you know, as Skell says earlier in the episode, like, this will give us an opportunity to talk about something other than you-know-what. And... You know, this is, like, a good problem to have. Like, okay, like, we're lost in the woods together. Like, whatever. We'll find our way out. Yeah. Meanwhile, if you're in a school with where somebody has a gun, who knows if you'll get out of a situation like that. Yeah, that's true. That's an interesting comparison. Anyway, let's... (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Let's awkwardly like, transition to Math and Rachel. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's only appropriate because this episode is awkward. So it, it's it's all over the place. It really is. <laughs> um. So something I do want to note about this because um, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure I said this in other episodes, but there were always like leaks about One Tree Hill spoilers and like upcoming episodes. And I'm I'm very spoiler adverse, but like I had a friend who would like always fucking read these spoilers and then tell me without my consent. She was the fucking worst. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> but anyway. But anyway, um, for for this episode, one of the spoilers that was leaked, and again, like leaks, they can be fake, they can be like you know, th- th- there's there's no way to verify if they're true until you see the episode. But apparently, in this episode, according to these leaks, Mouth and Rachel were supposed to have sex. Really? Yes, they were supposed to have sex. Also, Rachel during the game of I Never was supposed to reveal that she was actually a virgin. Which is a social construct. I don't subscribe to that word, but that's a language that would have been used. So th- this is actually in the script, or these were rumors that this was going to. These were these were leaks. So uh, somebody could have like put these in and like completely made it up. Some of these leaks like were true, um, but I remember this one being a leak that ended up not being true whatsoever. Interesting. Well, I guess you could see the hot tub pictures of them hugging, and maybe that's what like led to the one where they would have sex yeah there could have been people who were like who like saw the set and be like oh they're having some sexy time obviously they're gonna have sex which is funny because it was totally not like that at all it was literally a friend hug mm-hmm. yeah exactly um i really do like the trajectory of the uh, mouth and rachel's relationship though because mouth starts off by being like make no mistake i'm here for everyone but you and then they're in the hot tub together and um you know, Rachel admits that she just wanted to throw a wrench into things, and she wanted to confess about the time capsule, but now said to just bury it and keep it buried. And then she pulls him into the hot tub, and then she holds his hand, and she's like, I'm sorry, Mouth, and I wish I could take it all back. And, like, that was just so sweet to see. It was just nice to see Rachel have, like, a heart, because normally we see her at Brooke's throat all the time, and she is having, like, she is genuinely sorry about what happened. Yeah, and I found, I found it interesting, Mouth asked her like why did you do it and she didn't have a clear answer she's like i don't know just to watch people squirm and that's like a really rachel thing to do and i could see how it would be like she she did it because she just thought it would like i don't know it would cause a little drama it wouldn't be that big of a deal i think in her Mm. mind and she even says that she didn't think anyone would die because she released the time capsule like she never imagined that would have happened I thought that was just like a really honest conversation that they had. And Mouth even apologizes to her for how he reacted, which I don't know if he necessarily has to apologize, but I'm glad that they made up. I thought it was a really nice scene. It was like one of the highlights of the episode, actually. Yeah, absolutely. It was nice seeing Rachel be human. I know. I want to see more of that. (laughs) Because then, like, you... (laughs) You see her later on making fun, or maybe it was before this, actually. Before, I don't really re- remember the order of it, but she's making fun of Brooke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this one, yeah, she catches Brooke before, and then, yeah, she makes up with Mouth after. Yeah, this all would have been Yeah, it's before. kind of like mm-hmm. the timeline of it, but whatever. Um, yeah, because we did, we did not talk about this episode. We never talk about our episodes in order, no. except for a few special circumstances. But this one, I'm like, yeah, I really have no idea what happens in what order. <laughs> yeah, I don't really remember. 
But let's, you know, to, to take us there to, like, Rachel making fun of Brooke, uh, let's talk about the things that happened with uh, Brucus. So, Brooke, or Lucas, I should say, Lucas gives Brooke a letter, and it turns out to be very, very seamy. <laughs> I want to know what was in this letter. <laughs> Me too! Because <laughs> she gets in the hot tub, which probably didn't help. <laughs> <laughs> And, and she was just like, uh, she's like, I need to get out of there. Where's Lucas? <laughs> and then Bevan's like, oh, he's out riding ATMs and Nathan Mouth. Is there anything we can help you with? And then she's like, no, 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 this is definitely a Lucas thing. I'm like, okay, gosh, you're that horny girl that she couldn't wait to ra- for Lucas to like, come back to the cabin. Okay. Um, but you know what? Like, I'm all for, like, you know, taking ownership of your sexuality. Do it. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it's funny. And honestly, too, like, I'm pretty sure, like, Lucas does not do a good job of making Brooke come. So, like, Brooke could probably do a better job herself. Wow, you really hate Lucas that much. <laughs> come on, can, can, we, can we, like, be honest here? Did Lucas ever make Brooke come? Like, listeners, like, please weigh in. You can talk about the real serious stuff to Kate in, or you can talk about whether or not Lucas made Brooke come at to always OTHpod at gmail.com. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) I feel like, I don't know, they have chemistry. What are you talking about? I'm pretty sure, like, it's hot, but I'm pretty sure Brooke does most of the work herself. Like, I I imagine that. Oh, man, that's a hot take. Yeah. Interesting. That's, I don't know. I thought Lucas all. and Brooke were cute in this episode. They were cute. I really did like the, the moment when they were by the fire and they were talking about... They were talking about Lucas's scar on his finger and how Keith ended up cutting his own finger and then rubbed his finger next to Lucas, which is so gross. The whole idea of being blood brothers. <laughs> I'm like, you're going to get so much bacteria from that, but the sentiment is great. Yeah. Why was that ever a thing? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> but anyway, Lucas uh, confesses to Brooke that he's worried that his mom won't heal. And then uh, that's when Brooke reassures him that he did everything he could and he just needs to have faith that she's going to get better. Yeah, I feel like there was, um, like, this gentleness about them in this episode. Like, Brooke was just kind of, I don't know, comforting Lucas. And they had just, like, these tender moments together that I think was nice to see after all of the trauma in the past mm-hmm. few episodes. And I feel like in the previous episode, they weren't really seeing, like, eye to eye on how to cope with us like Brooke wanted to throw the party but Lucas really didn't want to be involved in that so it was nice to like see them together and like and getting along and also helping Nathan with the <laughs> with the proposal oh, sh- which is hysterical oh, <laughs> that's it yeah that's toward the end of our outline yeah. but <laughs> I-, I have some like hot takes on that <laughs> oh I think it's so funny it's so there's funny. some funny moments. I have so many hot takes. But anyway, I want to <laughs> I want to keep going. I want to get us there. Um, but let's talk about uh how Brooke got caught brooking herself by Rachel. And I do want to say, Anna Lotto, uh, while she didn't write this episode, she did come up with the idea of brooking yourself, and it was included in this episode. So that was really cool. To I'm say, glad a woman that. came up with it. Right, absolutely. Feels, makes I me love feel it. like less weird about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. Like, oh, I, I, I love it so. It's so cute too, and I love the game of I never, where like you know they, everybody kept like making fun of it, <laughs> and Bevan takes a drink, and Skills like, do you know what that means? And she's like, yeah, 
I broke myself all the time. <laughs> and then Brooke's like, can we please stop calling it that? <laughs> yeah. And Skills is like, if she, if she keeps talking like that, I'm going to have to brook myself. <laughs> it's so funny. Like, it's yeah, it so, is. like, like this, this reminds me of just like, you know, when you're with friends and you're just like roasting each other, making fun of each other. Like, it's fun. Which is why I have a lot of issue behind uh, Brooke um, invading that cabinet. At least that's what we're led to believe. That cabinet that's... That's in uh, that's in Rachel's cabin. That has a secret that Rachel obviously doesn't want everybody else to know about. So like, why did Brooke have to take it out? Like, yeah, maybe Rachel embarrassed her, but at the end of the day, I feel like what what Brooke realized that nobody really cared. Like, you know, it wasn't like a big devastated secret that she was Brooke and herself. You know? Yeah there there was really no like shame shaming. It was just kind mm-hmm. of Rachel. Like, of, out of all people, Rachel would not be the one. Who would shame someone for that? She right, she exactly. really was like making, wanting to make Brooke feel embarrassed, kind of, and like just watch her squirm a little bit. Like it was, yeah, it was supposed to be funny. And well, I don't, I don't know about Rachel with her intentions. Like I feel like maybe Rachel like wanted to shame her because she wanted her to be embarrassed because like that's just her dynamic. But at the end of the day, I feel like Brooke had nothing to be embarrassed about. And she can, you know, she can recognize that based on how her friends reacted to the situation. Yeah. In the end, it was all okay. Exactly. And we'll talk a little bit more about uh, Rachel's secret in the spoiler segment. But it's, it's just, I, I don't I don't like that. I feel like this could have been like a great thing to like own up to your sexuality. Like it would have been cool to see Brooke feel shame about like, you know, being caught Brooke and herself. And then only to find out, like, oh, this is this is normal. Like, my friends are just lightly teasing mm-hmm. me, but they're not like they're, they don't actually think it's anything to be ashamed of, you know? Yeah, yeah. Also, back to that game of I never. I want to point out that uh, <laughs> Peyton initially did not want to play I never. She says that's a great idea. Yeah, cat fight with Nikki, anyone? And that's they did not play I never in the episode where Nikki and Peyton had a cat fight. No, that was season one, the, I think, episode four, right? Crash into you? Yeah, where Nikki was not there at all. (laughs) So I'm like, where did they get this detail from? And how I pulled that episode number and title right out of my... (laughs) I don't even know how I did that. (laughs) Good for you. I'm proud. I'm pretty sure this is accurate. Okay. Okay. They could have played I Never, like, I guess off screen, but it sounds like such a specific detail to, like, call out. I'm like, did they forget that they didn't play I Never? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's really, really random. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but can we talk about, uh... Something else that's guess, random? <laughs> y- yeah, um, Pete from Fallout Boy. I... So Peyton's like waiting for him to come and she tells everyone that Pete's supposed to come, Pete's supposed to come and no one believes her the whole time. So it's like this running joke. And then finally he shows up and he's making breakfast. (laughs) Somehow he gets into the cabin by himself. Starts making- I was wondering that too. (laughs) Starts making breakfast. Brooke walks in because she just woke up and it's like she's in a dream and she goes over and kisses him. Like is that is the weirdest (laughs) thing ever. Why did they write that kind of scene? What? And I remember during the promos for this too, they uh, they highlighted that scene too. <laughs> like that's the scene they always showed us. Like Brooke and Pete kissing, not Peyton and Pete kissing, but Brooke and Pete kissing. 
everything about the whole Pete storyline is so weird. I just could feel the awkwardness. And maybe because, like, on the Drama Queens podcast, Hillary talked about how awkward it all was. Anyway. um, Well, that Pete was, Pete Wentz was really, really nice. But, like, it was just awkward because he was supposed to be older than her. And it was just, like... The dialogue, I think, was written weird, I think she said. Even if she didn't say it, it was written weird, <laughs> according to me, yeah. at least. Like, yeah, but my, my, my favorite line that Pete says is, I've listened to your podcast, your, art, your artwork, your dad, everything with Ellie, that Jake guy. You just said that, you're li- that you listened to her artwork. Yeah, it's weird. It is just the way he delivered it. And I thought it was so strange how they walk outside of the cabin and Peyton's like, thanks for going on this walk with me. And then they immediately sit down. <laughs> like, what? That's a good point. I was like, they literally walked like two feet and then sat down on the little swing thing. This is good for my physical therapy. I'm like, okay, like you're doing a great job, girl. <laughs> I think it was that scene. Like Peyton said, this is weird. Like... We don't barely know each other and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, because then he says what you just said. I listen to your podcast and everything. <laughs> and it's like, okay, but you haven't really spent a lot of time together. And this is also random. Why in the world did they ever have the storyline? Why couldn't Peyton have just been with no one? Why did she need this? Like, what was the point of bringing Pete on? Did he want to act? Or was it really just to, like, to promote the music? Like, there was some kind of deal, because I know they featured a lot of the songs in this season. You know what I think a lot, actually? I almost wonder if this, uh, th- this does not answer your question at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, but I'm just randomly thinking about this. Uh, do you remember, like, earlier in the season with the with the door? How, like, you know, both Brooke and Peyton were, like, listing out the people, like, the guys they were allowed to date? Yeah. And then uh, Brooke says, like, fine, you take Dave Girl, I'm taking Anna. I almost wonder if, like, Dave Girl was supposed to originally be in this role. <laughs> I wonder. How funny that would have been. Yeah, that would have been. (laughs) You know I love that scene that you're talking about. It would have been been random either way, but... uh, I think Fall Out Boy was just like a hot item at at this point in time. Like, this was their time. But Pete Wentz is not a good actor. No. (laughs) Did you see the scene when he first leaves Peyton? He does that little smile, and then he closes the door. Like... Pete Wentz looks so annoyed. <laughs> really? I didn't notice not, that. Not, not, I don't think he was intended it to read that way. I think it was meant to look like, oh, so sweet. Like, he closes his eyes, but, like, the way it, like, comes off, it just, like, doesn't, like, it reads very uncomfortable. Like, I don't think he knew how to act in that particular scene. No, his, I don't know. Yeah, like, his delivery, his tone is kind of flat. I don't really get his personality from it, and... I just could have done without all of this. Yeah. I would sell like 100, 1,000% like sleep with him, but you know. Yeah. Eh, he was never really my thing, personally. Not really, yeah. No. I'd sleep not with my him. Thing. Okay, but so the fact is like Pete and Peyton have like a parasocial relationship with each other. And, you know, you're familiar with parasocial relationships, right? Do I have to explain this? I think you have to explain it. (laughs) Okay, I I guess I should explain this to the listeners, too. So, a parasocial relationship is, like, listeners, listeners who do not personally know either of us, you have a parasocial relationship with us because you don't really 
know us, but you do know this persona that we are putting out into the world. So that would be considered like a parasocial relationship. So in the case of P and Peyton, because P is like listening to like, you know, all of Peyton's podcasts, and then there's Peyton who's listening to all of Pete's music, they do have a parasocial relationship with each other. So can like a double-sided parasocial relationship form a actual relationship? <laughs> it just brings me like it brings like an interesting study. <laughs> I feel like Oh, I don't know how to respond to this. <laughs> I still feel like you'd have to form, like, an actual relationship. Like, you'd actually have to be together. And I feel yeah. like all of those other things would help you to get to know the person, but, like, you'd still need to, like, physically be with the person or talk to them. Yeah, and I also feel like you need to get to know, like, people on a, like, a real-life level, too. Yeah. This is this is a great question for like a very like inside baseball listeners who do know us personally. Let us know how similar we are to the persona we put out on the podcast versus the real world. <laughs> how, how accurate is it? Oh, I think it's accurate. We're down to earth. We are. We're real. Yeah, I think. I think I, it's I, pretty I think accurate. Okay. I guess we need to find a. Uh, Okay, well, you're you're in a monogamous relationship. I need to find a musician who also listens to this podcast, and then <laughs> I can end up dating that person. This is complicated. I can, see, <laughs> I can see if this will work out. So, Pete from Fallout Boy, if you are listening to this, <laughs> I love how that's his name, Pete from Fallout Boy. <laughs> it's, it's Pete from Fallout Boy forever. Yeah, or any of my top three celebrity crushes, uh, Dan Levy, Jack Quaid, or Tom Holland, if any of you are listening to this, give me a call, because I have a parasocial relationship with you, and I hope you have a parasocial relationship with me, and let's see if this works, is all I'm saying. (laughs) All right, Jeremy, you're going off on a bit of a tangent. (laughs) (laughs) There's not much to this episode, I feel like we can- I know, but we have one of the best parts to talk about. Yes. Let's talk about this proposal <laughs> and this whole rain drama. So, Everything about this is hilarious to me. Just trying to steal it from Haley, especially the second time <laughs> with Brooke. It's so funny. It's so much high chase. Could you imagine me in Haley's perspective? I know. It would be devastating. Like, I would be so mad, like, when I find out from Nathan, be like, you had me believe that I lost my fucking brain. You asked twice <laughs> in the yeah. same weekend. Like, I would be so, so mad, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I would have been freaking out if I were her. Like, absolutely freaking out. And she already had so much anxiety throughout the episode anyway. And it's just like, you know, like, why are they, everybody's buying into it? Like, ugh. I feel bad for Haley during this whole thing. Also, too, like, why does she say, like, you know, like, oh, my God, Nathan's going to kill me. I don't really like that. I'm like, why are they so worried about Nathan wanting to kill her? I feel like the anxiety of, like, losing her ring is enough to, like, you know, propel her, to propel this conflict. Yeah. Not the fact that Nathan's going to kill her. And then even when, like, right before he proposes, he's like, (laughs) she's like, uh, like, oh, like, I hope you're not mad at me. You probably are really upset with me. And I'm like, Haley. <laughs> I know, because, like, you can just lose things. Mm-hmm. It happens sometimes. But I think that there is still 
They are definitely rebuilding their relationship, but I still think there's probably a little bit of anxiety there, like wanting things to be perfect, not wanting to screw anything up because they've had so much of that. And and Nathan even says to, to Lucas when they're in the boat fishing, he's like, we, I can't remember how he's like the phrase, but basically he's saying we, we've settled so much, like Haley deserves to have this perfect moment. Yeah, I have this. I have this written down. Okay. If you want me to read it, um, but Lucas tries to tell uh, Nathan, like, you know, everything doesn't have to be perfect. And Nathan's like, no, but this does. Why couldn't this one moment just work out the way I planned it, just once, you know, for Haley? I, I feel like, like on paper, that line sounds so whiny. Like, no, this has to go the way I want to. But I think James Lafferty delivers it very well yeah. to the point where it has a little bit of nuance to it. But I really don't think this is like a good lesson. I don't think like couples should do this sort of thing to each other. Yeah, if anything, like you just give them a new ring. But I know you would have to buy a new ring, which isn't really that practical. So, well, they don't have jobs that are able to afford this uh, apartment, Caitlin. I know. So, so I like, know. it's not really practical to get an- another <laughs> ring, especially when the ring isn't even old. It's so, like if you were married for a long time and then you know wanted to give them a new ring as mm-hmm. like a renewal, like a vow renewal. Then yeah, I could totally see that. But like they've literally been married for. I mean, I don't... What is time? We're not going to go there. We are not going to go there. <laughs> but <laughs> they have not been married very long, and then they've been separated and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, he he could have just proposed. Like, he didn't have to have a physical ring. Like, he could have just yeah. taken her to the dock, taken her hand. He could have even, like, slipped the ring off in the moment and, like, said what he wanted to say and then put it back on, you know? Yeah, or like you know, like seal it like right before it happened, or like you know, at some point, yeah. some point where Haley doesn't even like have to like worry about it being missing. Yeah. But she she went most of the week I'm thinking that she lost her ring, <laughs> and that is just and she really was wearing bad. She was wearing mittens at one point to hide her hands. <laughs> like yes, oh my god, yeah. I just the comedy of it. I feel bad for Haley. I do, but like the comedy of it is gold. Like it's just it's yeah. With especially with Brooke when they're sitting on the couch and she's like, "Ooh, I have an idea," but it's not subtle. <laughs> and she spills the drink all over Haley, and Haley gets up and is like, "What just happened?" Which, the funny thing about that whole scene, though, is that, like, yeah, okay, that definitely needs to be soaked in club soda, for sure. But did Haley have to actually take a shower? Like, what's the spell that bad? I know. (laughs) But it worked. Like, I smell stuff on my clothes all the time. Like, you know what? You take the shirt off, and then you, like, you soak it. But, like, I I wouldn't get a shower. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, those moments were really, really funny. Like, I, I do like those, like, high, like, you know, comedy situations, especially, like, when when Brooke, like, sneaks into the bathroom, like, takes it off of the watch, and then she accidentally drops the watch the watch in the toilet. And then she's like, well, guess I gotta keep going. <laughs> oh. But it is, it, it just sucks so badly that Haley had to have anxiety leading up to this, though. And, and again, the whole thing about, like, you know, Nathan's going to kill me. I'm like, I don't know. It's, it's interesting enough to have... Haley be upset about losing her own wedding ring than to worry about whether or not her husband is going to kill her over it. Yeah. And I just don't think that's healthy either. It's like, It just makes me wonder if straight people are okay. <laughs> you know? Sometimes I don't know. 
Are you okay as a representative of straight people in this podcast, Lance Caitlin? <laughs> oh, I guess so. <laughs> I guess in, in so. The that end, means no. In the end, though, it was a beautiful proposal. Like, I loved the whole, like, directing of the scene and just the location of it. And I think Paul Johansson did a really nice job with the directing. Mm, yes, yeah. And it was nice that Nathan said that he wants to get married in front of all of their family and friends, which is different mm-hmm. than what they did before when it was just Haley's parents. Yeah, and I have the uh, the quote written out here. Nathan says, over the past year, I learned so much about life and love. And even if I could, I wouldn't take back all the bad stuff that's happened between us because it brought us here, this moment, this river. Marry me, Haley. Marry me again in front of all of our friends and our family. It was really nice. Mm-hmm. It was a great nailing moment. Yes. So this is sweet. And I guess we're going to have a wedding soon. I guess so. Mm, I'm excited. Yeah, very exciting. You gotta love a Tree Hill wedding. Yes, we do, because they all they all go so well. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's not a spoiler, by the way, folks. <laughs> oh my. Anyway, um, so we have this coda, which is to the song, I've got a dark alley and a bad idea that says you should shut your mouth, parenthesis, summer song. By Fallout Boy. That was fast. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I figured, like, I talk really fast. I feel like I should have said the title right there. <laughs> um, but I guess, like, rapid fire, uh, Peyton and Pete say goodbye. The gang gathers at the front of the cabin. And then Haley, like, walks up to Peyton. And she says, oh, Peyton, don't worry. He's just leaving on a rock concert tour. It's nothing to be concerned about. And Peyton just responds, ha you're funny. And then we see Brooke running outside, and then we cut to the inside of the cabin, showing Rachel's mysterious cabin unlocked. So that's a little cliffhanger right yep. there. And then we see the gang smiling, you know, in slow motion for 24 seconds. Yes, I did time this. Yeah. <laughs> and then... They pan across <laughs> all of their faces. I, I liked that. I thought that was a good choice for... Because Paul Johansson, no doubt, made made that choice, so... It's it's fine. <laughs> You don't like it. Okay. <laughs> it's not that I don't like it. Like, it's such a beautiful moment on its own. But it's just funny to think about, like, you know, they had to really fill this episode with contents. True. Because that lasts for 24 seconds. And, and just imagine, like, you know, I, I just imagine the cast, like, having to just stand there and then just smile at each other and, like, not say anything. And they just have to look laudingly. I don't know. It was a good reflective moment. Personally, I liked it. It was cool. being You're being harsh. I am being harsh, but it's just... And here's another reason why I think it makes me laugh, too. I, I used to have this friend. We're not friends anymore. But we used to, like, kind of, like, make fun of moments like this in TV shows. For example, whenever we, like, left a room that we spent a long time in, we would, like, open the door and then turn around really slowly and then, like, look to the left <laughs> and then look to the right and then we'd smile and, you know, that's, like, the t- you know, there's some moments that happen in, se- in, like, series finales when, like, characters, like, leave a room that they spend a lot of time in, like, an apartment. Like, or like the Friends office. finale when they're looking at the apartment and then they leave. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, like, you know, we used to do that. It was, like, a funny bit that we had. So, like, I feel like this moment, this moment reminded me of that, like, how, like, funny and absurd it is in reality. But... You would take a sweet moment and make it. <laughs> like not sweet. 
Okay, well, I disagree with you, respectfully. Okay. <laughs> Ironically, this is my favorite musical moment, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's a good song. It's definitely my favorite song. I actually have a different favorite musical moment, but I love this song, obviously. <laughs> yes, we'll get to that then. Okay, but the coda ends with Rachel and Mouth getting in a car together as we hear Lucas's voiceover. And is this part two of Caitlin's Lit Crit? I guess it is. So, Lucas says, John Steinbeck once wrote, Change comes like a little wind that ruffles the curtains at dawn, and it comes like the stealthy perfume of wildflowers hidden in the grass. So, this is actually from the book Sweet Thursday, which is a sequel to Canary Row. And so, basically, the book is about, like, the main character went off to World War II. And then return back home again. And everything in the book is really about change. Like, how the character has changed and how, like, when he's come back home, he is facing all of these changes where he lives and the people around him. So that's really, like, the big overwhelming theme throughout the book. And the quote, actually, in the original passage, it starts out with, men do change. Change comes like a little wind, blah, 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 blah. So that, that's how the quote actually originally starts. What it was really referring to is, I guess in the original context, is like change, like a person changing. And I think in the context of One Tree Hill, it is pretty similar because like they've all been through so much recently. And this moment in the cabin was a moment of healing and it was kind of like, like they said, it was a little wind that ruffles the curtains. So it was a little bit of change, right? They're still healing, but like a little bit, they're moving forward a little bit. Or change can be like stealthy. So we have a lot of metaphors here going on. <laughs> <laughs> like the stealthy perfume of wildflowers hidden in the grass. I don't know. I feel like that kind of repeat it's almost repeating the same thing like change can kind of come subtly you don't really maybe notice at first that it is change but you know over time so it's like saying that like things are going to get better for these characters i think so what did you think about the quote um well i think it has an interesting relationship with the first quote because the first quote is kind of saying like you know like hey like i am afraid of life because the quote is trying to say, be not afraid of life, believe that life is worth living, and your belief will create that fact. So it's like kind of giving you like a hopeful message to move forward. And then um, the end quote is kind of saying, like, hey, like, change is going to happen. It's going to, you know, it's already happened a little bit here, and it's going to keep happening, and it's going to keep occurring. Yeah. So I think it does have a, like, the two quotes side by side are very interesting to get from like point A to point B, I think. Yeah, and I actually thought it was a really beautiful way to end the episode. Because, I mean, it, it just relates to, like, everything that they just went through. Like, the point of that weekend was to kind of process their grief, heal in some way by not really thinking about everything that happened. You know, trying to get back to themselves a little bit. And what I really like about the quote is that, you know, it's showing you, like, change can come in a small way. It doesn't always have to be, like, this big thing that you notice immediately, but it, it can be a little thing and that can kind of build 
it can build on itself as time goes on. And things, like you were saying, are gradually going to get better. It's a good, hopeful message. Yeah, I like it. For a kind of messy episode. <laughs> and I will say, since we're about to get into our favorite moments and everything, that is my favorite quote. Oh, okay. And I guess I'll tell you my favorite quote. I loved when uh, Karen was like calling out uh, Dan because uh, Dan says like, well, this is my responsibility as the mayor. Talking about how, uh, you know, having Keith go into school and, you know, save people essentially. And then Karen yells at him. She says, responsibility as the mayor? What about your responsibility as a brother? What about your responsibility as a father? You had two sons in there, Dan. Where were you for them while Keith was lying there, dying? Where were you? I wish it had been you who died in that school. Dang, that's your favorite quote? It is. I I, I, Mara Kelly's delivery is just like fire, I think. She always is fire when she yells at Dan. (laughs) It's like Moira brings out any anger that she was ever experiencing in her life, and she just throws it into this character. It, it, she's scary. Mm-hmm. She is scary. I would be scared. She's a scary mama bear. <laughs> she really is. I love it. And I, I do have one honorable mention. Yes. So back when the ring, when Lucas stole the ring, Haley's ring, for the first time, and then he's showing it to Brooke outside, and he holds it up. And Brooke is like, are you proposing to me? Lucas, this is really naily. (laughs) It was so good. (laughs) I thought that was funny, too. Yes. (laughs) And then, of course, like, you know, Haley sees it. I always like those moments that, like, in comedy shows when, like, you know, the exact wrong person you want to walk in walks in. And that's what Haley was. Even though I I don't think Haley should have been... I cannot say words, Caitlin. (laughs) I'm going to keep that in. (laughs) Even though Haley should not have been manipulated. You know, I still think there was a lot of, like, humor. I agree. I mean, that's definitely the biggest, like, comedic (laughs) storyline. I I really enjoyed it. (laughs) Uh, But I already said my favorite musical moment. What was yours? I liked the reanimation by Black Alicious, which played at the name brand Orange Soda Party. My gosh. When they're all dancing. It was just so good to see them happy, and I loved the moment. Yeah. We didn't even get to talk about this. Like, <laughs> I want to know, like, why Why did Peyton even get a phone call saying, the folks at Name Brand Orange Soda called? I'm like, why are they, like, I, I get it. Like, you hosted a very successful concert for them, but, like, are they literally just going to call you randomly and say, hey, we have this party that happens to be near this cabin that you're staying at the weekend? How do they know this? Like, what triggered them to call Peyton? I have so many questions. It is just another example of how random this episode is. Like, why did there have to be a name brand or soda party? And it <laughs> didn't even, like, this whole scene didn't even last that long. I mean, I can't even, I don't even think it was three minutes that they were at that part, like, w- where we saw them at the party. Yeah, I almost wonder if, like, the name brand Orange Soda were saying, like, hey, we'll sponsor this episode for you, and they just had to, like, push it into the plot. That is so (laughs) weird, Jeremy. I would have been fine if the entire episode took place in the cabin. Like, you know, it could have been, like, this could have been such a cool, this would have been an actual bottle episode if if the entire episode took place in the cabin. I'm saying let's cut out, like, all the stuff with Karen and Dan. Let's cut out the part where they actually leave to go to the cabin. Like, make the entire episode take place in the cabin and, like, the surrounded area. That would have been cool for me. I don't understand. 
I really don't. <laughs> and I feel like, you know, the reason this episode is flawed, but there's still a lot of moments that do bring me joy. So I give it three out of five ATM driving sessions with the boys. And I give it three out of five games of I never. Oh. <laughs> I mean, it's fu- it's a funny episode to me, but rewatching it, I'm like, this is weird. I never really thought that hard about this episode before, but I'm like, this is weird. But I just got to say, I am very, very glad that this episode exists because you know what? It got you into watching One Tree Hill with me. I know. And it led you to hosting this podcast with me. So for that, I say thank you, R. Lee Fleming Jr. and Paul Johansson. I know. I gave in to your pressure. (laughs) To your pressure. (laughs) And you should be thanking me, Caitlin, (laughs) is what I am saying. (laughs) Thanks, Jeremy. <laughs> Always and Forever is on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at AlwaysOTHPod. You can also email us at AlwaysOTHPod at gmail.com. I'm Jeremy Rodriguez, and you can find me on Twitter at RodriguezJeremy. And I'm Caitlin Illinich, and you can find me on Twitter at Miss I Reads. Outside of following our socials, the easiest way to support us is by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. That helps One Tree Hill fans new and old find us. You can also support us via Patreon, where for as low as $2 a month, you can gain access to bonus content, our private Discord server where you can chat with us and other listeners, and early episode releases. Visit patreon.com slash alwaysothpod for more information. Now, if you don't want future episodes of One Tree Hill to be spoiled for you, now is the time to turn this podcast off. Otherwise, stay tuned for the spoiler segment after the music ends. We'll We'll be be seeing seeing ya. Welcome to the spoiler segment of Always and Forever. This is your last reminder to turn off the podcast if you do not want spoilers. I don't want to talk about Rachel's (laughs) secret, because this is so awful (laughs) yeah we can make this quick so in the next episode it's all revealed right yeah it it is revealed and it's hella problematic and uh, and i'm sorry but like brooke revealing this about rachel especially like after watching this episode like this revenge is not equivalent whatsoever for one thing she's fat shaming rachel which is horrible in itself and you know obviously rachel is very very insecure and to try to to shame her for that it is just awful it's just vicious i think it's really out of character for brooke yeah there are are moments in this series that i've realized that brooke is just very very toxic like she's still my favorite character but she can be pretty bad sometimes it's mainly in the teenage years though i feel like as an adult it's not as bad yeah, I'll have to think about that, actually. But, yeah, I mean, not... we'll see as we move on, but, yeah. She definitely becomes a better friend to Peyton, because, yes, while, like, Peyton did, like, you know, quote-unquote steal her boyfriends, she does treat Peyton like shit, as a result. Like, where I feel like it doesn't even, like, equal... Yeah. The... It doesn't equal the crime. Yeah. You know? I know what you mean. Um, Another thing I wanted to talk about that's related to Rachel, though, is that, like, I feel like in this episode, she learns so, so much about opening this time capsule she's so apologetic for it but then like she ends up doing some she ends up pulling some pretty sociopathic things in season four like trying to steal nathan and everything so i feel like you know this uh the rest of her storyline you know 
a lot of it in season four, but definitely like in season seven and so forth. Like it doesn't really ring true for like, you know, where this uh, storyline leads her, you know? I know. Like, you know, I really like Rachel, but there are definitely some big problematic things that they make this character do that I don't agree mm. with. And I wish there wasn't so much of this back and forth with Rachel and Brooke. Like, I like when we get to season four and they're actually friends, you know? Yeah, I like that, so. It's a shame because, like, she's humanized in this episode and then, you know, then she'll do other questionable things later. So it's, like, hard to see her vulnerable. Like, we, it's really rare to see her vulnerable in this series. Yeah. <laughs> Have fun transitioning into this song title. Um... So, uh, so Caitlin, uh, speaking of absolutely nothing, did I ever tell you about that time when I slept with a famous composer? No, you didn't. I did. I slept with a famous composer. Um, and you know what? He did not write a song about me. That's sad. But, you know, Fall Out Boy could have written songs about somebody that they slept with. <laughs> what? Um. <laughs> So while all, you know, I cannot say I slept with a semi-famous, and when I say famous, he's like Z-list for the record. <laughs> I slept with a famous composer and all I got was a stupid song written about me. I cannot say that sentence. But somebody from Fall Out Boy who did get a song written about them can say, I slept with someone in Fall Out Boy and all I got was a stupid song written about me. Which, oh my god, that was such an organic transition because... That is the title of this episode, <laughs> this next episode we are discussing. Oh season three, episode 19. How was that? Oh, you didn't think I could do oh it. Oh my God. But I did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still recovering from that. <laughs> but anyway, read the episode description, Caitlin. <laughs> yes. And taken from our OTH DVD box, that's the description reads, Truth Will Out. Lucas finally reveals his heart condition, and Brooke discloses a big fat secret from Rachel's past. Also, Peyton plans to meet up with Pete from Fallout Boy. Instead, unexpectedly, she sees dot dot dot. Uh, and that dot 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 is really excited, but like, oh, it actually says Brooke discloses a big fat secret. Like, is that language supposed? To, oh, that's that's cringe. That is really cringe. You're right. Ugh but we'll have a lot to talk about with this. Sure will. <laughs> Till next time. <laughs> we'll be, we'll seeing, be ya. seeing ya. Was that good? I think we did it. <laughs>